I got my first cinch notice in the second quarter, which was an F in English. And by struggling mightily, I got it up to a C minus <laughs> minus, the worst grade I ever got. But it was, as I say, a learning experience. And the skills that I developed in terms of writing served me well. Welcome to The One Hour Intern. I'm your host, Will Brigger. Today, our guest is former president of Sequoia Associates, the vice chairman of Gap, and the former CEO of Lucky Stores, Mr. John Lilly. Mr. Lilly, thank you for being here today. Nice to be here, Will. So you balance in a numerous number of tasks on a day-to-day basis. Can you talk about a day in your shoes? Well, a day in my past shoes was usually a pretty well-choreographed day with a calendar, most of which was was full, often with meetings or preparatory work for meetings. Then a, a portion of all of that time was also spent outside of whatever business I happened to be engaged in at that time, because I believe strongly in participate in the community, doing volunteer work, and learning in that way and associating with with others, other leaders in the community. And how did you balance these two worlds? Because that seems like a a lot of work to have to do. Well, balance is always a problem for somebody in a senior management position. Balance between the business, obviously, or organization, your family, and your outside commitments. And you have to be fairly conscious about that and disciplined in how you manage, especially your outside commitments. For example, I would limit myself to no more than two boards outside of the company, nonprofit or for-profit boards. And I think the part that got the short, short end of the stick was my family because often I would be in situations where I had to commit myself to the business, especially in ways that limited my time with family. Would you say that if you could go back, you would spend more time with your family rather than work, or would you not change it? I probably wouldn't change it very much. I was fortunate that I had a very supportive family, and especially my wife, who was in this fully engaged with what I was doing. And we usually spent time when I came home just downloading for the day because she was interested in what was going on. Do you have any specific stories about any major accomplishments that you've had in your work? Well, I think the, uh, it's worthwhile to reflect on what was valuable in my work. And I think the most important part was my efforts to create a place where people could flourish. And we did pretty well at that. I measure that by, now that I'm semi-retired, by people that come to me and say that I made a difference in their lives. To me, that's the most important metric in my professional career. And how did you do that? How did you foster this community of growth? I think that I encourage people to extend themselves, to take some risks, to develop themselves, to be committed to what they do, 
and to express their values. Other than work, do you have any passions or hobbies that you spend your time doing? Well, as, as you know, we're sitting with a bunch of puzzles, and I've collected puzzles for a couple of decades and really enjoy doing those. I find it very contemplative, good for the mind, and an opportunity to often think about things that need deeper thinking and to remind myself that television isn't as important as other relationships. How do you manage to find time for your hobbies in your busy world? Well, now that I'm semi-retired, I get it's fill in time between meetings. The other thing that, that I did while I worked was I ran every day, or nearly every day, six out of seven days a week. And I always did that in the morning. Often I was up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock out, out running. I remember once going down the driveway of our house out in Woodside, and at the bottom, the cat went across the, the way, and but he sprayed me. Turned out it was a skunk. <laughs> so the skunks were out at 4.30 that morning, buried my clothes, and then went to work. <laughs> Could you explain why you woke up so early and felt the need to run every single day? Because keeping in good physical condition is very important to your mental condition and your ability to perform as well as enjoy life. I continue to do that. I don't run. I power walk now. But getting out and trying to get a good dose of exercise nearly every day is, is important to your well-being and, and your quality of life, especially as you get older. Now that we've kind of talked about you today a little bit, we'll come back to that at the end as we kind of go through your story. But Let's move back to your childhood. So you were born in 1937. And other than that, there's not much information about your childhood. So can you talk about what your life was like at home for you? I was born in Chicago. My first 10 years was the south side of Chicago, which Chicagoans know wasn't the high end of the community. But it started to teach me about how to get along with people. We moved then to Southern California, where I went to uh, grade school and junior high school and high school in a place called San Marino, right next to Pasadena. In what ways did being in the south side of Chicago in this, not the wealthiest area, in what ways specifically did this teach you values and help you grow? Well, it was during the war, the war, World War II. And one of the things I did was I had a wagon, and I went around and I collected newspapers, and I, I hauled the newspapers into my elementary school. And also you, you collected bacon grease, which was used in munitions. And so I had this jacket that I wore in the winter, and it had all these award patches on it. I tell that because it's important for people in their lives to do, really do things rather than just manage. If you're a manager, you need to understand the people on the front line who really create the values, the valued products or the valued services, take care of customers. And people who bypass that step in their lives 
really miss an opportunity in understanding how things get done and enjoying it more. You mentioned that you moved to California. How did moving, what, what was your reaction to moving and what did that do to you as an individual? Well, I was still quite young, 10 years old. I think what, what it did is it brought me to a community that had very good public schools. And so I was able to go through the public school system and get quite a good education. Unfortunately, California schools aren't what they were in, in the 1950s, where they, New York and California had the best public schools in the country. So that set me up well for my subsequent education at Stanford. Can you talk about how your relationships with your, your parents, or if you had any siblings and your relationships with them, and how that shaped you and built values? Well, I think my mother and father were very important to me. My mother was tended to be demanding, which probably caused my personality to lean toward being an A personality. My father was a very thoughtful, very intelligent person who had great values, and hopefully I've practiced some of those because he respected people, he listened to people, he was humble but very smart. And in fact, he graduated from the University of Chicago in the spring of 1929. And he was number one in his class and had the highest average ever made in a business school at the University of Chicago. Wow. How did he pass those values on to you? He spent time with me. He would spend time talking about how he got things done, counseling me on that I was doing. It's a, a sharing parental relationship. And you said that you found yourself putting work first a lot in your own personal relationship. How did you pass those values that your father taught you and that you learned in your life down to your own kids? I really didn't try to do that. And we have two children, neither of whom are, are in business. My, the other thing about my father is I would have would call him laissez-faire. He wanted me to do what I would enjoy most. And originally, I started out on a, an effort to become a, a professor in nuclear engineering at Stanford and to do research. So uh, it was kind of in the midpoint of, of the first year of that that I, I changed course and went to business school. But I was always torn between the two, and my father was fine with either way, and my mother. And we've been the same way with, with our children, both of whom are involved in artistic-related careers. Can you talk about some specific stories or experiences that you had with your father or your mother where your mother was hard on disciplined, or your father kind of, you had that great relationship with your father that helped you learn those values? Nothing comes to mind right away. Do you have any regrets with regards to your family life and your relationship with your parents? I would say that I did not appreciate them as much at the time they were actively involved in my young life as I should have. That would be my main regret because they were such a strong influence in my subsequent life. Your father, as you said, was very successful educationally. Did this have any specific influence on you? 
I would say that he was a good role model, and I did pretty well in school. Some people would say very well. Now that we've talked about your family and your childhood, let's talk specifically about your time in high school. Can you just talk a little bit about what school was like, talking about the toughness, effort you gave, attention, any special relationships you had? Well, I was probably a fairly typical high school student. I enjoyed it. I was very focused on on getting good grades and studying. I ended up as valedictorian, one of the two of the class. Played sports, football, tennis, and track. Very active that way. And continued to play tennis for many years after that. Going back to that question of balance, how did you manage to balance all those sports and still be this great student? Oh, there seemed to be plenty of time. <laughs> if you, uh, you know, you make choices, obviously, in, in your life of among the things that you like to do and even some of the things you don't like to do. Do you have any specific mentors from high school that you remember teaching you anything important? My math teacher in junior high school was very good. She was pretty tough. And actually, my seventh grade English teacher was very important for me. She insisted on good fundamentals in English. And I found that very few people in business in particular are able to write a clear statement or a clear page to communicate ideas and so on. So I often end up editing other people's stuff. Did these mentors, did they teach you any values or any major life lessons that, maybe not in high school, but anything of this sort? I think my values primarily came from my parents. And values are extremely important for young people to focus on. Determining what your most important values are will have an enormous influence on how you live your life. And in making decisions, the having good positive values will make big differences in what happens in your life. And how does one develop these, from your personal experience, other than your parents, because your parents give you a lot of values and you don't necessarily take all the ones that they have. How do you develop your own values? Well, I think to some extent you osmose them from your parents and others around you. And as life progresses, you get challenged by various circumstances that force you to live certain values and make decisions based on values or not based on values. And sometimes, obviously, people make the latter and probably don't live quite as good a life as they would if they made them based on good values. And what what values do you find central to your life? Trust, integrity in the broadest sense, not just honesty, but intellectual integrity, and respect for people and their ideas. And how do you cultivate these values in your life today? It's the way you express yourself and the way you make decisions, the kind of support that you give to people around you. Do you have any experiences where you you didn't follow these values and then you recognize this and you kind of overcame that? Well, I had an experience once where I 
went to a company that I knew wasn't quite aligned with my values. And I thought that there were enough people there that we could build a culture based on those, particularly those three values, trust, respect, and integrity. It turned out that the the board didn't think those values were as important as I did. And ultimately, they fired me because of it. And it was a good thing for me <laughs> because I, I, I couldn't get to where we needed to be as an organization. And how do you overcome something like being fired from a company? Move on. <laughs> didn't bother me that much. No. And if you are comfortable with yourself and confident in yourself, you can deal constructively with downturns. And what's, for you, what's the best way that you found yourself being comfortable with yourself and that you were able to build confidence? Well, fortunately, by the time that happened, I'd already uh, been the CEO of three companies. And uh, I was very comfortable that I had the experience and uh, talent to lead other businesses, which happened. And for someone who doesn't have all that experience, what would you tell them when they've been put in a position like that where their confidence is and their comfort with themselves is put in question because of something that they've experienced? Well, it depends on what the circumstance is. There will always be times where things don't go the way you hope for. And how you handle that may be more important than how you handle your successes. Your resilience and ability to rely on your basic values and inner self uh, comes out in those times. And if you examine them carefully and understand why they happen, they can be your most important learning experiences. And how does one reflect? Because it's it's easy to say, reflect on your actions and you can learn from them. But how does one do that? Because it's much, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard concept to grasp. Well, I mull things over. Sometimes I wake up thinking about something, whether it's positive or negative, but often when I'm going to be doing something the next day that giving a speech or whatever, I'll wake up in the morning and have almost dreaming about it. And doing that kind of introspective thinking, I think, is important an important habit to develop. And how do you keep it from bringing you to a dark place and allowing those thoughts, if they are negative, from bringing you down and affecting the rest of your day? I go out for a run. It helps to get exercise, cleans up your mind, and gets you ready for whatever's ahead. Let's talk specifically about your college experience now. So you got a bachelor's degree at Stanford in, from 59, and then you got your MBA in 64. Can you explain your experience in college? kind of focusing on the same things that we talked about for high school? Well, I found uh, when I went to Stanford as a freshman, I found it very challenging. 
I got my first cinch notice in the second quarter, which was an F in English. And by struggling mightily, I got it up to a C minus <laughs> minus, the worst grade I ever got. But it was, as I say, a learning experience. And the skills that I developed in terms of writing served me well, as I mentioned earlier, ever since. The freshman year, going from a public school to Stanford, I think most of us from public schools found it quite challenging because the kids from private schools had much better study habits and study experience. But by the sophomore year, we ran all over them. We figured it out and got going. And after my freshman year, I did quite well in college and subsequently in graduate school. And how did you get to that point where you were able to compete with them and ultimately do better than them? I worked harder. In my freshman year, I I started out playing uh, tennis and running track. And by the spring quarter, when the season started, I quit both because I felt it was more important to spend time on on my studies. So again, it was priority setting and making some choices and, as I say, working hard. In college, did you have any professors or friends who you feel like played a really big role in your life? Yeah, I was very fortunate. In undergraduate, I had a uh, professor as my counselor named Harvey Wagner, and he was one of the great people in the early days of uh, operations research. And when I was undergraduate, I was in, in industrial engineering, which is where operations research was, and I wanted to become a nuclear engineer. But there wasn't a nuclear engineering department. There were courses spread around. And I started taking nuclear engineering and a lot of math and physics. But it didn't match the industrial engineering curriculum. And I said, Dr. Wagner, I'm not taking the industrial engineering courses. He says, it's okay, you're upgrading. So that was his attitude all the way through when I came back to work on a PhD and then gave it up. He was again my counselor and helped me think through the process of moving from aspiring to be a a professor to going to business school. Can you explain that thought process and how you made that drastic change in your life? It was pretty tumultuous. And at the time, uh, I was married and, and went through a divorce at the same time. So I withdrew quite a bit and became quite contemplative and kind of into myself. But when I ultimately, I went back to, I was working at the Lawrence Radiation Laboratory in between undergraduate and graduate. I went back to work there and then came back originally a PhD program on an Atomic Energy Commission fellowship. And then when I decided not to do that, I went back to the radiation laboratory and uh, applied for business school and went on to business school. Things worked out. Do you have any regrets from your experience in college? I'd say rather that I was very fortunate. I was fortunate in being at Stanford at a wonderful time in the university's history. I was fortunate in the people that I worked with as far as students and professors. 
I developed some of my uh, deepest friendships in graduate school. Today, I work, uh, as you know, with Ian J. Gallo as on the board and as a consultant. Uh, I met Joe Gallo, who is the CEO in business school, and we've been close friends ever since. So uh, those were wonderful years. I really don't have regrets that I've carried forward. Is there any other than your education and your friendships, are there any major takeaways that you've had that you had from your college experience? I think the main thing that you learn in college is how to learn. And that's been the most valuable for me. I enjoy learning. I've learned all my life. And if you can develop that love of knowledge in your educational time, it will greatly enrich your life. Do you have any recommendations on how someone can learn that love of knowledge? Because sometimes it can be daunting to, to learn. Become engrossed. Uh, take, the, take subjects that you're passionate about, that can really involve you. That's what I found at business school, even more so than in, in engineering, was that I found subjects that I really enjoyed. And I learned in engineering how to analyze things, which gave me a competitive advantage. And when I applied that to the softer skills, often that I learned in, in uh, business school and subsequently, uh, the mix worked out really well. This could be wrong, but I remember my grandpa saying that this could definitely be wrong, that you were in the military. Is that correct? No, no. I, uh, I was at the radiation laboratory when I would have normally been in, in the military. So after your college, you, well, you got your bachelor's degree, or you got your MBA, but after that, you worked at a bunch of these companies. Why did you, why did you choose the companies that you chose? With the exception of the one that I mentioned, it was based upon an alignment of values and how I felt my skills and background fit with the, the needs of the business. For example, when I went to Lucky Stores, um, I originally told the CEO who had called me and asked me to uh, consider coming there, I wasn't interested because uh, I'd already run a couple of companies and I was looking for another CEO position, and this wasn't a CEO role. But at Lucky Stores, they had a rule where this, if the CEO wanted to retire, he had to have his successor and successor's successor in place. And he had a successor, but not the successor's successor. So he wanted me to come aboard in that role. Um, I went over and met with him and his successor. And within 15 minutes, the two of us, the successor, and I knew we could work together because he was deeply experienced in the grocery business. And I brought the skills of planning and professional management uh, that, that he had not had. So between the two of us, we were very complimentary. And we worked extremely well for the next five years until he retired. And do you have any stories, I mean, any real specific 
experiences in the work world that you feel are very important to you and to who you are? Well, I think we've discussed many of them. The importance of values and how you decide what you're going to do in, in business. The uh, importance of working in companies that support you and help you develop your skills, help you to flourish. Uh, those are, are key considerations in, in your professional life. During the time in your, your time in business, you also became a, a board member to a lot of other companies con- giving advice and consulting. Can you talk about what you did there and how you helped companies from not just a, a fiscal and economic standpoint, but also a conceptual and value standpoint? Well, the board role, of course, is very different from management and should be. Board members need to realize where the line is, where they should not cross the line into management's responsibilities. But on the other hand, a board member should be able to give management some perspective, in effect, counsel them, suggest areas that they should consider that they may have overlooked, help in the evaluation of people. Uh, Often, as a board member, I would be involved in interviewing people for key positions in the business. So there are many areas where board members can be effective as long as they understand what their role is and that it's not management. In interviewing people, what did you look for in a potential person to work at your company? Well, when you interview, it's a fairly superficial process. So the person's track record exclusive of the interview is very important. Also, I don't usually interview for relative to a person's skills. That should be pretty well established by their references and so on. I'm looking for the person's values and how well they'll fit with the culture of the business. What's their work ethic? How do they think about themselves relative to their accomplishments? One rule I learned very late in the interviewing process was the importance of the words I and we. And people who interview and use the word I are often not very good team players and uh, not the kind of people that I would want. I just used I. Uh, We would want in our business. You also played a role or you led the election of the uh, Stanford's new president. What went through your mind when making that decision? Well, it, it happened just as I was about to be appointed CEO of a company called American President Companies. So it wasn't a very convenient time. But fortunately, I was able to tell the team about it, the senior management team, and that I was going to depend upon them to run the business while the process was taking place, which they did very well. The uh, It was a great honor and one of the most significant things that I've had the opportunity to do in my life because we were able to identify a person that uh, made a substantial difference in the trajectory of Stanford University, Gerhard Gasper. But it was an interesting process because usually teams that are more than six to ten people are very cumbersome and not very successful. This group was 16, 
and made up of seven members of the Board of Trustees, seven members of the professoriate, a student, and an administrator. So a lot of diversity. And the fun about it was everybody was totally committed to the objective. So you had a a team that, although they were diverse, were all aligned in what we wanted to accomplish. And we had a great experience together, just a great lifetime experience of sorting through 720 nominees, coming down eventually in, in a period of four months with three, and coming up with the right person to recommend to the board. What were you looking for in the president? Well, fundamentally, the very best person to run Stanford University. But what does that mean? You learn what it means as you go through the process. We started by interviewing about 40 people on campus and a couple off campus about what they thought it meant. Then we formed four teams of four each that went out every weekend for about a month and a half to various areas in the country. And they visited universities in that particular area and talked to the leadership of those universities, some of whom were nominees, but they didn't know it because that was all secret and kept very close and has never been revealed. But in the, in the process, again, we refined what the kind of person we were looking for. Of course, values were right at the top of the list because values are required to be a successful university president. And we've seen examples of, of both. Fortunately, not very many examples of presidents that did not lead with very good values. But at Stanford, we certainly have been fortunate in having consistently had leadership that, that have great uh, personal values and academic values. So values are very core. In the academic institution, the person needs to be respected as an academician. So their academic record is very important. And Gerhard uh, was truly renaissance, is a renaissance person in terms of breadth of interest and and depth of knowledge in his area of expertise, constitutional law. You also serve on the advisory board, or you served on the advisory board for the business school. What did you do in that position? (laughs) Not very much. (laughs) I think it was more honorary than, than substantive. The value of, of being a member was that you continued your learning experience. All the meetings would involve opportunities to expand your knowledge as well as associate with uh, very interesting leaders of businesses and nonprofits from all over the world. So that was certainly valuable. And uh, for me, the relationship with the dean was particularly important. Been on the uh, search committee for for the dean throughout that period, like two search committees. Along with being on the advisory board, you were also a trustee. 
Can you talk about what you got from that experience and what you gave to Stanford from that experience? Well, being a trustee is an extraordinary privilege. And I was fortunate in being a local trustee in that I could spend more time than some of the non-local people. So I got quite involved in a number of activities. Since we had been involved, obviously, in recruiting uh, Gerhardt, most of my trusteeship was spent while he was president from 92 to 98 was when I was trustee. And he would often call on me for and a special assignments, one of which was to get involved with the medical center. And that really changed my life. I had told him that I had assiduously avoided any association with the medical center because it was a mess. And he said, well, that's why I want you to get involved. And in the process, uh, he led the rebuilding of the leadership of the two hospitals and the medical school to be lay the groundwork for what has become the great center of medicine it is today. And I got involved and as a result, got deeply involved with the uh, Children's Hospital, which has been an enormous privilege to be associated with the dedicated people there, as well as being part of what I regard today as being the, the age of medicine. Extraordinary things going on learning experience. And you said that being involved with the medical school changed your life. Is it it just changed your life in a way that you kind of just became part of that community or did it have some way that it changed your thoughts and things like that as well? I think that certainly being part of the community changed our lives for the better, to say the least. It's changed my life in terms of my learning process and learning about some things that I knew very little previously and giving me more of an appreciation for the issues around society and medicine and the enormous problems and opportunities that exist for us in the United States to do a lot better than we're doing today. That's uh, We've talked a lot about a lot of stuff today. So I just want to zoom out really quickly. And just, are there any big failures in your life that you feel are important to talk about and how you dealt with those failures? Well, the main one was was getting fired. And the learning was that I went to a place that didn't adequately align with my values. Mr. Lilly, thank you for your time today. You have an exceptional story, uh, and thank you for sharing. Before we go, is there any advice that you'd like to to give to the listeners or to high schoolers or college students? Enjoy life. Thank you. On the next episode of The One Hour Intern, I learned from current co-creator and board member of Libra, a cryptocurrency project initiated by Facebook, ex-president of PayPal, and ex-vice president of messaging products at Facebook, David Marcus. For me, really, technology has always been a thing because with technology, you can actually impact the trajectory of the world in a profound way if you do it right. And that's why I'm here and, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. Thank you for listening to One Hour Intern. I hope that you explore more of our episodes. Follow us at One Hour Intern. The one is spelled using the number one. 
And if you enjoyed, please rate, follow, and subscribe. The One Hour Intern is produced, hosted, and written by me, Will Brigger. My co-producers are The Blue and Studio Pod. Till next time, thanks. Thanks.